0: are going to realize like it's an absolute must in the long run to scale the single execution environments. Liquidity, UX, developer, complexity, all of these things. Like exactly what Solana is doing. I think like that's exactly like the rationale behind someone like Eclipse is like, yeah, we clearly need to innovate on like the VMs of these L2s and these rollups more. And in that scenario, you do start to see more of a power law.
1: This episode is brought to you by Das London, BlockWorks' number one institutional crypto conference for all the top institutions and people in crypto are going to be this March in London, what's becoming maybe the crypto hub of the world. I have a link in the show notes where you can learn more and also a discount code that will get you 20% off. So click the link, find out more, and I'll see you there. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lightspeed. Today, we are joined by John Charbonneau, who is probably the most prolific researcher in the space. I think you joined the space in 2022, so you haven't even been around that long, but your rise has been absolutely incredible. Uh, And you went from being an analyst at Delphi to now you've co-founded an investment fund called DBA. Um, So, John, welcome to the show. Yeah. Glad to be on
0: finally. It's been a while since I've done a pod. So that's what we were just saying before is, thank you for setting this one up because Hasu and I have been very slow at planning our next pod. So need someone else to do it for me.
2: Thanks for coming on, John. I do, I do want to just start off really simple and ask you just probably the most basic question, which is, what is a roll-up?
0: <laughs> oh, this is going to be tough. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, like, this has been, like, a whole big debate with everyone over the last, like, few months. Uh, the, like, the TLDR that, I like, I've tried to push on a lot um, is that basically people try to, to kind of, like, simplify a roll-up into, like, the idea of, like, very simply what we have today, where it's, like, this one bridge contract on Ethereum, and that's where all the money is. And so, like, that effectively is the roll-up. Um, And a lot of what I've tried to do is like just generalize and separate that because I think it's actually really important to like get the right mental model for it to understand like what is the purpose of a roll up versus something like Solana in the first place. The very simple answer is that like a roll up is just some like some state that you derive off of some data basically that is posted on another a blockchain, another data layer. So there's data posted on Ethereum and I can run some state transition function over that data that says like, hey, this is the state of my rollup." That is all you really need to have a roll-up at just like a fundamental level is that. Um, all of these other things are like very important but they are implementation details kind of on top of that um, at like the most basic sense.
2: What have been like the most common uh, disagreements? Like what are maybe the different camps for our audience who are going to be mostly Solana Based and so they probably won't understand or know or uh, be aware of the different kind of distinctions. Can you maybe break that field down for us?
0: Yeah, the the main like pushback that I would say f- I've gotten from people is like it's not like a technical pushback. It's a practical kind of pushback of uh, primarily like a lot of most Ethereum people um, like in, in this community have like a, a general concept of what rollups are for. They are for scaling Ethereum. And so if you view them as a scaling solution of Ethereum, well, then like the natural byproduct of that is, OK, well, if it lacks this bridge from the base layer to the roll up, well, then what like what the hell is the point of this thing? That's the whole point of it in the first place. Um And while I agree in practice that for the large majority of use cases that like roll ups should be viewed as like or they generally for most practical uses are like an actual Attempt to like scale their underlying base layer, they don't necessarily have to. Like, you can have a roll up on top of Ethereum that just doesn't have this bridge at all, or on top of some other DA layer. And you do get certain security properties um, by the fact that like you are using that DA layer. And it can help in these like different senses of okay, you are just using that other chain's consensus and whatever properties it may have, as opposed to you know, having to go like bootstrap your own validator set. You can make a much more simplistic setup, potentially easier to like launch a chain as compared to like launch in your chain having to go find a bunch of validators all that kind of stuff um what the use cases for that latter one will be is unclear because i think the practical reality is the majority of things that we see is like you want to be able to bridge assets around like that is what we are using most of these things for: is that you want to be able to tap into the assets of this kind of other chain um but at just kind of a fundamental level i think like understanding those two very different parts of like there is the the security aspects and like the roll up itself and then there is the bridge and the security properties of the bridge are two very distinct things um, and like separating those under like helps you understand very well okay like what are the architectures that we should think about like how should we bridge across these chains and stuff like that
1: yeah john another simple question how do you define scaling and when you think about rollups, are those scaling ethereum i like, guess is, is that the proper way to phrase it
0: yeah so it I still don't think there's a perfect definition for any of this. Um, in general, I would say that my like kind of basic definition of scaling is trying to get more throughput through a system relative to whatever the resource requirements are. So if you just double the block size of something and that you know equates to just doubling the compute that everyone needs to do, that's not really scaling, that's just higher resource requirements. Um, and that's where, like, a lot of the kind of unfair criticisms were of like Solana and, you know, other chains over the past, you know, a couple of years is like, Oh, it's just a block size increase. So it's not scaling. Whereas like, you know, we're doing the whole like clients and proofs and all that. So that's real scaling. Um, obviously the different side of that is like one, like, yes yeah, Solana does have higher resource requirements, but so do rollups. Um, the difference is like, okay, but we can create more efficient execution environments that for comparable amounts of resources do get you a lot more throughput. So I consider that scaling. Um, and then there's, very far side of that is also just like scaling in the sense of like verification of so users don't have to even execute all the transactions, uh, you know, the way that you would normally run a full node, so you're scaling verification by having like ZK proofs and data availability sampling that I don't even need to run all these things. Um, and then there's the other like kind of fuzzier concept of scaling the system of like, like you're talking about, like do roll up scale another chain? Do they scale Ethereum? And... This is where like I, like I honestly don't even think this is a perfect answer. I think there's like good arguments on both sides that it's, like they do scale Ethereum or they don't. Uh, like in general, I kind of think of it as you're generally scaling it if you are using the properties of the underlying system in some way and retaining a lot of like the underlying security properties of the system. So if I am bridging my ETH up to a rollup. And this is a well constructed rollup that maintains security properties that are like very directly derived from Ethereum. I would say that is scaling Ethereum in a sense. It like it lets you do a lot more interesting things with your ETH that you couldn't do on the base layer. Versus, is it scaling if I like send my ETH to Coinbase and now I can do whatever I want with Coinbase? Like, I, like that's not really scaling in my mind at that point because like all right, you effectively just have no security properties derived from it. Um, so that becomes like a fuzzy line, um, which is why a lot of people like very reasonably say that like okay roll-ups aren't scaling Ethereum, you just have to consider the base layer itself. Um, but I do think it is obviously important to use them in a different way with more compute and similar security properties.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and they also scale like the culture of Ethereum in some ways. Like you hear Ethereum aligned, which is a meme uh, for the Ethereum community and also kind of Slana community making fun of that. But I think there is some, there's a real like power to it. Uh, we did have Nick White from Celestia on, he describes it to some degree, but I'm curious if you could just define for our audience a bit. Like one thing with roll-ups and sequencers and so forth, they actually do have high resource requirements, but because of validity proofs, fraud proofs, but we can maybe just talk about validity proofs if you want to, um, why that is scaling, and then maybe also go into the difference between like data bandwidth and data availability sampling, because there are differences there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so the... <clears throat> So yeah, it depends on like what kind of your definition of scaling is again. Of like, what do you want to scale? If you want to scale verification of these things in particular, then yeah, proofs are like the perfect way to do it. Where it's just you have some one beefy node, you know, whether it's a sequencer, or a validator, whatever it is for your chain. Um, but you know, they could just send me. <clears throat> A ZK proof of this thing, and assuming that there's data availability sampling as well, then it's super light for you know one person to do all the execution, and then that's just one person has to do it. Everyone else can just check these like super uh, cheap proofs to verify with like low resource requirements, etc. So that's like really scaling the verification of it um, is from proving and. Probably important distinction is like we often associate all of those with rollups today because in practice those are all the teams that are really pursuing these technologies. Um, but you can absolutely implement like CK proofs and data availability sampling like on any chain in theory. In practice, like that's not what people are doing today, but you absolutely can, and there's a real possibility of that in the future. Um, and then the kind of other part of that is scaling in the sense of like okay how much can we really get through this system of like the actual nodes that do have to like actually execute these transactions um and create the blocks because someone does still have to do that at the end of the day um and there is a a trade-off still at a certain point of okay even if everyone is able to easily verify these things are we okay with one sequencer that is like the question of decentralization on these systems that's why it always gets so really fuzzy because we're talking about like decentralization of different things Maybe it's okay to have super decentralized verification and super centralized block execution. Or maybe it's not, depending on the use case. If you want like absolute censorship resistance um, in like real time, well, then getting a ZK proof doesn't help you because you just know the block is valid, but if the sequencer says screw you, I'm not including your transaction, Like a ZK proof doesn't help you. Um, so for something like that, you want to have a reasonable enough quorum that is censorship resistant, is decentralized, etc. Um, so to do that in particular, um, and to get the max amount of like throughput through the system, you do have to fundamentally scale like the execution of the system itself, the data propagation of the system itself. Otherwise, you you will still become bottlenecked by that at some point, because even if it's really easy to verify the chain, if no one can build a block with a million TPS, well then you're not going to get a block with a million TPS. Um, so that's where like a lot more of the execution innovation and stuff like that comes in, of like something like the SVM and Solana um, being able to just like much more efficiently use resources um, to get much lower latency and higher throughput through the system.
2: Yeah, and and so maybe going a bit deeper on that, uh, you you mentioned you know there's different layers basically to scale. It really depends on what you want, and, and maybe that's a good segue to modular versus integrated, formerly known as monolithic. Uh, uh, and and you know I mean m- maybe for the audience, a brief intro would be like modular says okay, well we're going to scale these kind of uh, uh, independently of each other uh, in some sense. Um, Although, again, uh, as you say, things do get fuzzy depending on whose perspective you look at it from. But then maybe a system like a Solana is is maybe a simpler way of looking at it, which is like, okay, we're just going to do everything in an integrated way. Now, the system can still be modular within that, but Solana, whatever Solana is in quotes, is, is kind of that system. What are you and and uh, one one thing that uh, you sent me a meme the other day uh, over which was Green Goblin uh, looking at Spider Man and and saying like you and I are not so different after all Green Goblin being monolithic chains and Spider Man being modular chains can you describe yeah uh, uh, why they're not so different after all like what is uh, uh, I mean I think I know what you mean but
0: maybe for the audience yeah so <clears throat> I'd say like the whole modular monolithic meme as Done a great job catching on over the past couple of years because in practice, we see two very different approaches by very different teams um, that are generally going in one direction or the other, of like what trade-offs are we trying to make. So in general, Solana has gone this monolithic slash integrated route of we want to try to scale as much as we possibly can in the base layer, try to keep everything together, minimize, you know, developer complexity, just like put it all through one pipe. On the other end, there's this like modular, okay, we could strip these things apart. You know, we have this one layer that doesn't do execution and these all these roll-ups do execution. Um, so that's been like helpful to some extent in that like there are different trade-offs that people are taking. The more technical reality is that there ends up being, at the end of the day, like, little to no distinction at them if you, like, play them both out to their extreme. Um, And that's when you start to – like, I think that that's been the problem with the modular monolithic is I think that it has – led people to kind of like incorrectly understand like some of the underlying technicals of the system that like oh you can't do these things in like this other system um and like in particular the simple examples of that are so like let's say we play this out to like the complete extremes it's like one end is like the integrated slash monolithic end is like solana okay like max throughput one chain everything lives on solana solana can add data availability sampling and zk proofs like in theory in the future and like people are looking to do that. It's not like a near-term practical priority, but like that is absolutely something that you can do. And like, this is something that like we talked about on the podcast I did with like totally Neil and Nick the other day is um, in particular, like the way that you would likely do it is um, the whole like modular, what they want is like data availability sampling. Solana doesn't have that. The way that you generally add that is like, you just have to encode the data differently such that like nodes can sample it. The problem with that is like you in practice end up with like slower data propagation, slows the system down. You don't want to do that probably for something like Solana. So what you do is you just kind of have like a slow path where Solana keeps going as it is, like as fast as possible. And then you can have this kind of like asynchronous path where we encode the data differently every once in a while and people can sample it. So that's like one extreme is like Solana adds this like slow path to DAS and ZK. The like logical extreme end of modular is like, let's say you just have one DA layer. So like Celestia or Ethereum or whatever. And let's just say that there's one dominant SVM rollup on that thing. And it does like all the throughput because the SVM gets to like a million TPS. The like extreme end of that solution is you just have this one execution layer that's doing all the execution. You get a proof of that. And that goes like blazing fast. And then you have this slow path of like DAS slightly asynchronously, like after the fact at the end of the day, like those systems end up looking like exactly the same. they have the same technical properties, the same security properties. The only fundamental difference to that point is like you basically have like two tokens at the end of the day and like potentially two different social communities. Um, So just like understanding that like the boundaries of those things break down and like one system can like use the benefits of the other is just like important to understand because I think we're going to see that more and more is that like the Solana community is going to, you know, say like, hey, these are great research innovations. We can borrow some of these. And vice versa, with the way that the role of community is saying, hey, the SVM is cool. Like, we can borrow this. And I think we're going to see like a lot more of that kind of going forward.
1: So in this end game, where a lot of things are converging, and Vitalik talked about this in his blog post probably about a year ago now. What, what are some of the pros and cons you see? Because it's just, it's two different paths to get to the same outcome. So with Ethereum, in, in my mind, like they've created this relatively more simplistic base layer that's been really good for a path-dependent way to try to form money around ETH. I think that's been a really big focus versus something like Sol, which is almost like we're going to focus on throughput and latency first, try to get applications and then somehow find our way into money if that's supposed to become a thing. So I'm just curious from your point of view, like what are the trade-offs there?
0: Yeah, yeah, I would say that that actually captured it well, which is I think a lot of like what some people still kind of overlook in this is that it's like one system is better than the other is kind of the view that people will take. Um, Whereas like they are practically taking different paths because there is in large part like a path dependence to this. Of Like, yeah, if you're starting from scratch, it probably makes sense logically if you were just like crypto did not exist. And like we were just starting fresh today, you would probably try to make the first chain the most like scalable thing that you possibly can. The like first principles thinking is probably not like, hey, how do we make this like? settlement slash da layer and then have like a million roll-ups on top of it that's like probably not in practice like the first principles thing that you would think of um what's happened in practice is that we obviously started from a very different place we started with bitcoin we started with ethereum and there is a high path dependence to that um, and that is why like in large part i think that is like somewhat what gets underappreciated at times uh from some within the Solana community is like the look at like an ethereum roll-up Or like, why would we put the SVM on an L2 or like any of these things? Because like, oh, it's gonna be like probably more expensive than Solana. Um, And like very possibly it will be, it probably will be. Um, But they're not a comparison because like the whole point of those systems is that they are able to, like, tap into and scale that underlying base layer. And the practical reality is, like, most of the interesting state right now within crypto is on Ethereum. It's in the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, so, yeah, if you're spinning up a new native chain and you're going to have all native assets and, like, you're going to have your booming economy, like, great. It makes sense to, like, go make the most scalable thing in the world, just, like, on your own, in your own island. Um Practical reality is like you want to tap into the network effects, the developers, the users, the liquidity, et cetera, the existing system. Um, and generally the best way to do that is to, in some ways, like build your system on top of that. Um, so like you do, that does come with trade-offs. Like you do, are you are like, you are now potentially bottlenecked by the throughput of that system, depending on how you architect yourself. Um, you do have potentially other complexities for developers in trying to like strap this thing on top of the existing system. Um, and like, we see that kind of in practice, like in a, a lot of different places in crypto. Of like what is that trade off between trying to build on top of the existing system and its complexities versus like starting from scratch? Um, like another random example is like Suave and Anoma. I think is like actually a very similar idea. Is like everyone's getting like all excited about like intents and like how do we you know do this intent matching and like more expressive preferences and everything. Like Suave is the approach of like hey let's be real, like the Ethereum and all this stuff exists, we need to build on top of it and like make it work. And the other end is like, hey, what if we just say, screw it to like backwards compatibility and start over because like optimally, this is possibly a better system. And like, that's a trade-off. Um, like one is not better or worse than the other, like there are trade-offs to both of them.
2: One thing I'm curious about, I think you just mentioned uh, uh, like uh, like many rollups uh, and one one maybe disagreement even within Ethereum, and, and certainly within the entire crypto community is, will there be? Uh, I think was it Vance who who said something like there will be like a thousand rollups, uh, and then but then maybe the 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 more uh, other side of that is like maybe actually there's like you actually just need like one or two rollups to scale Ethereum in in a sense. What are your thoughts on that? How, how should we think about that?
0: Yeah, so yeah, his tweet was like there would be 100 to 1,000 of them within like a year or two. Um, and I I pushed back on that one more of just from like a scaling perspective. I was like, I don't think the math of like 4844 supports that logically. Or if it does, then 99% of those chains are like dead chains that are doing 0.1 TPS. Um, so part of it is just like the scalability of like, can you support that many meaningful chains where like, I guess in theory, you could have a million chains, but like if everyone uses two of them, You know, like, what's the difference at that point? Um, So, yeah, I mean, like, the path of how many there will be in the, like, longer run, a lot of that just, like, honestly comes down to, like, what are the design decisions and, like, scalability trade-offs that people will make (coughs) um, in designing roll-ups in the future? So if you just, like, took the current standard of effectively every roll-up and every uh, L2, whatever an L2 means, um, is uh, like they're single threaded, very simple EVMs that like use Ethereum for DA, stuff like that. Like in that world, you're not going to have one roll up um, because like the very simple practical reality is that, you know, each of these single roll ups, um, have like relatively conservative uh, throughput constraints on them. Like they can't just go do a thousand TPS um, because they have the same limitations of like the EVM execution environment. They're single threaded. They have state growth problems. Um, like so, they have to meter their gas. Um, so if you assume that like that is the world where like nobody optimizes on the EVM and everyone just sticks with the EVM anyway, I think just by default you need many chains. Um, and I think that's probably in practice a large part of why people. In this kind of like more modular world, have like gotten excited about app chains and all of that, like this million roll up future. Um, Because if you look at what we have today, like you need that, or the system like doesn't work at the end of the day, because it's by necessity you will need many chains. Um, The other side of that, which I think is more likely to play out over time. Is that you will see more consolidation and like this more power law distribution, particularly because I think people are going to realize like it's an absolute must in the long run to just like scale the single execution environments um, for just so many reasons, whether that's liquidity, UX, developer complexity, all of these things. Um, like exactly what Solana is doing, I think like. A lot of those same ideas, you're going to see more and more, um, and like that's exactly like the rationale behind, behind someone like Eclipse, is like, yeah, we clearly need to innovate on like the VMs of these L2s and these rollups more. Um, I think that is more likely to happen, and in that scenario, you do start to see more of a power law.
1: John, I'm curious, when you, as both a researcher and an investor, when you think about the applications that will launch these app chains or rollups, who do you think is going to be doing that? Like Hayden Adams, I think this was a post yesterday and it was pretty long going into Ethereum. He's like, Uniswap's been around for six years. We take up, I don't know if this is true, 25% of ETH block space, at least on the L1. Um, Is ETH really just trying to be money? Is that who it's really trying to cater towards? Is it trying to cater towards the apps and have the largest ecosystem? Like, what's it trying to do here? And he's like, I love Ethereum. I'm going to keep building on it. But in some ways, it reminds me of something like Google or Facebook, where you have some of these, what they would call suppliers on the platform, almost complaining that, say, Facebook or Google is accruing a lot of the value themselves and might, maybe not thinking about the publishers. And I'm so I'm curious, uh, how do you think that's going to play out? Do you think the biggest apps on Ethereum are, are going to eventually try to, to launch their own roll-up?
0: So I still expect app chains to make sense in the long run, particularly for the applications that like actually warrant it. And have the resources, and have the time, and have the users, and have the network effects to do it. Um, so, like in general, I'd say there's broadly three reasons why you want an app chain. Um, they kind of generally fall into one of three buckets. One is today, I would say, is very clearly scalability. Um, but I would say that most of that is alleviated by if you just scale the execution environments, by you know you have a parallel VM, you have local fee markets, etc. Like a lot of the need for scalability today comes from the fact of you're running low-throughput single-threaded um, virtual machines, that can be generally alleviated. Um, the other part is bandwidth can still, in theory, get saturated, even on like, a system like Solana or a full DA layer, in which case you may want to spin up your own isolated instance. Um, but in practice, I would say that's not really the problem today, um, particularly for something like Solana. Um, customizability is the other thing, and this gets to the kind of like value capture and internalization of value. Um, so i I would say that most kind of value capture in these systems seems generally like an engineering problem where the early iterations of whether it's a lending protocol or Dex or whatever it is um, tends to leak out like effectively all of its value to the to the underlying base layer. And it seems to be that from most of those cases, it is basically an engineering problem to try to internalize those things on a shared environment but that it is not impossible just like it's a little bit harder of trying to like look at designs like people are exploring with hooks like designing mev capturing amms etc that um, it is possible to internalize more of that value even if you are an application on a shared environment um that being said it is clearly a harder engineering lift and it's like unclear you know what is the kind of percent of value you capture there like what is the trade-off there I think for like most applications that trade-off is going to be, it's going to get designs on a shared environment. Are just going to get better and better over time. They're going to get more efficient. You see this with the iterations of Uniswap V4, Uniswap X, that are mitigating MEV, that are reducing those impacts, which does allow you to internalize more of the value. Um, at the limit that like, the shared environments definitely still makes sense for the majority of applications in my mind. But it's very possible that for like an application that is so big that it has its own network effects that it is the brand itself, that even if it is a marginal improvement that like something like Uniswap gets by having its own chain of being able to tweak extra things and being able to customize a little more, it's probably worth it if you have, you know, hundreds of engineers and a ton of resources and you have the branding yourself. That like extra incremental gain is like potentially worth it. Um, for most applications, it's not going to be worth it, is like my general view. Um, the other part of it that I would say is like the really tricky one to reason about that. I don't think anyone even has like a vaguely comprehensible answer on this, um, is like the best argument for app chains long-term is like potentially like the whole sovereignty thing, um, where just like on-chain governance is like really hard. Um, and the ability to just like really control your stack and like. Use the more social aspect and forking within that, and like this is kind of along the lines of like what MakerDAO is like, lo- like exploring having their own chain for is like for more of the governance functionality and like the forkability of the system, um, and that's not really a roll-up versus L1 thing that is like really in practice. Um, in large part, like, how app-specific is your chain? Like, what are the assets that are drive there? Like, what is the use of this chain? Like, makes it easier to coordinate a fork? Um, That is the really hard one that I don't think there is, like, a great answer to. Um, There are different ideas of, like, how can on-chain governance try to, like, delegate some of that power to the validators or the social consensus of the, of the underlying chain, but that's like a really difficult thing to reason about. Um, and large applications may value that a lot in practice at the end of the day. But I think that again, that's probably the the kind of outlier on like, what do
1: most things actually need? I got to throw in one comment really quick. Um, when you were talking about branding, and if you do launch an app chain, you, you, you need to have a strong network effect and brand. And it's like that better be pretty damn strong because if you launch an app chain, what about the front end? And we've seen this with Uniswap where you actually have a front end that's owned by not the protocol and the token holders. So like that front end might have greater brand value than the protocol underneath it. So even if you launch an app chain, it's like, where is that front end going to point? And so I think it's going to be really interesting in who actually controls that network effect going forward.
0: Yeah, that that is also like that brings another like really difficult question of like what is the off chain versus the on chain entity um, and kind of the value capture of the system like that becomes a really really tricky question too. That's like pretty fundamental.
2: One thing I want to ask is about the SVM as as a roll up in in, in L two uh, with Eclipse. So when Neil made the announcement of of the SVM roll up uh, for Eclipse. There was maybe some mixed uh, uh, reactions. Uh, uh, so my personal belief is that it, it's a very good thing for Solana because uh, I think maybe the bottleneck for Solana isn't necessarily tokenomics or economics. It's just really mindshare and just getting adoption of open-source technology. Uh, a lot of people disagree with me on this from all sides. And, um, and maybe some some folks in crypto were like, oh, it's super bearish for the token and, and whatnot. I'm curious, John, what, what you think, uh, uh, what this means for maybe the next five years of, for Solana and SVM.
0: Yeah, my definite view is that very in like any kind of reasonable time horizon, it's clearly positive. Even on a short time horizon, I have a hard time viewing it as being negative at all, honestly, um, of like pulling liquidity away from their users or anything like that. Like the whole explicit purpose of this is that it is tapping into a new market, which like the SVM. Through solana does not currently have access to the whole point of eclipse or something like it isn't to go take liquidity from solana um because if it was like there's not a whole lot to take that's kind of the whole point um is like it's going on top of ethereum and trying to scale that ecosystem um, so like it is inherently like positive sum in that aspect of like you are opening up the SVM developer and user ecosystem to a completely untapped base of developers and users and liquidity and all of that, um, which and that kind of gets back to earlier, the like the distinction between that, like L, L1s versus L2s, whatever it means. Um, like that is one of the things that I think that some people like fail to appreciate at times is that the like, oh, this thing is probably going to be more expensive than Solana. Um Probably will be, um, would be my guess. I mean, we'll see when Celestia launches. I think it'll be de minimis either way. But like that's not the point. The whole point is that. If I am an ETH user, if I am a user of DeFi or whatever within the Ethereum ecosystem, like what in practice are you going to use? You're going to use the system that feels like an extension of Ethereum that has certain security properties of the bridge that are very different. I'm going to be much more inclined to use my ETH, my other ETH denominated assets, Ethereum ecosystem assets within an Ethereum L2 than I am to go figure out how the hell to bridge this thing to some other L1 that has like six different versions of wrapped ETH. And I don't know like what the hell anything means. Um, like you're going to use that other thing. And like, that is the whole point of like, it's like scaling Ethereum in that sense is like that is the user base, that is liquidity. And like that's where a lot of the, the getting back to like the path dependency of these systems. Um, so like it is just a fundamentally different market that you're adding. And like the argument of is this good or bad for Solana like kind of presupposes that you have a choice that like Ethereum and these other L2s are going to exist. Like, yeah, if you could click a button and the world is all of the transactions happen on Solana in the future, like, yeah, as a sole holder, you would click that button. Um, But that's, like, not really the option. The practical reality is that Ethereum exists. Ethereum L2s will exist. Would you rather them all be EVMs or would you rather, like, increase SVM adoption? Like, out out of the practical options, like, it seems, like, very obvious to me.
1: I've heard you say it's, like, a lot of people in crypto know that solana has good tech but like do people care and the svm extending is part of that helping people care and, and and like leaning into it and finding out more about the ecosystem in general you've written about ethereum i think really since you were in the space you kind of got famous for your ethereum roadmap pieces back in the day what what started catching your eye with solana i mean i know you've kind of tweeted about it obviously knew the ecosystem for a while but i feel like lately and you were a contributor on the eclipse paper so i'm just curious is there anything particular that like jumped out at you or like what, what what made you find it interesting
0: yeah, definitely. Over the course of this past year, like I've spent a lot more time on Solana. Um, I mean, part of it is the, quite frankly, practical investment aspect of it. Of like, it's actually like gotten to a point where like it's more exciting to look at um, because of just like asymmetric outcomes to where it is. Um, the other part is just the fundamental of it has seemed like very clear to me increasingly over the past year that we've gone swung a little too far as an industry in the direction of like getting super excited about like oh we're going to have a million app chains and all of these things when in practice bridging sucks we don't have that many applications that people use and we have plenty of block space uh, so like that seems to be a rather poor investment of time and capital um, at least on the margin uh, like where most of that is going and it seems that there is a very significant hole to fill of just minimize developer complexity, scale the hell out of a single system, minimize bridging. Like quite frankly, the biggest risk that is still around is just like having a bunch of different bridges. like minimizing that. like scaling single execution is like actually the simplest way to do that. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a mix of like there's clearly great tech um, that was, I think was adequately appreciated a year or two ago when like everyone was all excited about Solana. And like sentiment has just like swung so far to the opposite side of the spectrum that like is irrational relative to like the amount of tech. Um, And then there is also the like very clear, strong, just like social side of it in my mind that like has been very impressive. And that actually is really important is like, like everyone like kind of talks about it, but like, like the whole like social layer like does actually matter a lot. And like when you get punched in the face as much as like Solana has been punched in the face really hard over the past year and a half, and everyone is like still as excited as they are. Um, like, like you noticed that, uh, like the, some of the ways that like I started to notice, it was like, I remember like when I came into crypto, everyone was always fighting, like all the Ethereum people, we were always like fighting with Avalanche. And now over this past year, no one's fighting with Avalanche anymore. Everyone is only fighting with Solana. And I think that there's like a reason that like everyone is still
1: fighting with Solana. Uh, and like, I think that like that alone, like kind of speaks to it. Mert's become the Hercules of Solana. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if it's just my news feed, but everybody's just putting Mert and Anatoly together. Mert, I'm just gonna pump you up. But, but I 100 percent agree. One of my favorite tweets that I saw
0: like the like a day or two ago, I I'm trying to think who it was. I think it was like Monet's fly. He was like like he was like half drunk, but he was like, it's super bullish, like how like how often Mert keep like Mert's
1: salty replies like keep ratioing <laughs> everyone about Solana. Well, so it's he's like it's kind of trip. He's yeah. the Deadpool of Solana as well. Yeah, yeah.
2: I'm more like the Joker's brain damage at this point.
1: Quick break from the show to tell you about DAS London. Look, I don't really give investment advice, but I'm going to do it here. This investment gives you a real world experience in London. Yep, a trip to London. You're going to meet some of the smartest institutions, people, and builders in the space. Third is you actually get to listen to these people as well because there's going to be over 60 speakers at this event. And fourth, most importantly, of course, we get to hang out. I'm talking about DAS London, which is BlockWorks' biggest and best institutional conference that's happening this March in London. The big institutions, Are starting to realize that crypto is here to stay, and they're actually leaning into the space. From BlackRock to Visa, we're seeing it all. It's a two-day in-person event. Like I said, over 60 speakers. It's a killer lineup. But more than that, like what's most important to me is the people you get to network with and meet. Like you might collaborate with these people, whether you're a project or maybe you're looking to work in the space. You might work for one of these people or just learn from them. Like it's really great to meet these people, and this gets everyone under one roof. So I'm a huge fan of this conference. I'm going to be there. Check out the show notes. I provided a link where you can learn more and also a 20% discount code. Yeah, 20% off the ticket. Uh, These tickets do go up every single month. So that's why I would sign up now. Uh, The code is Lightspeed20. That's Lightspeed20. Again, that's in the show notes. Make sure to use it so they know I sent you and you'll get that discount. All right. I hope to see you there. Now, let's get back to the show.
2: John, I didn't want to ask you, um, because you are one of the few people who actually understands maybe both ecosystems, uh, really more than most people. Uh, I, I don't think there's maybe even over five people who understand it as much. Um, so, with that said, uh, I'm curious uh, uh, if you were to contrast me with both ecosystems and, and say, like, okay, here's some things that Ethereum can learn from Solana, and here's some things Solana can learn from Ethereum. What would those things be in your mind?
0: The things that Ethereum can learn from Solana, I would say, are less Ethereum itself and more of just like the rollups and the teams building on top of it. Um, I think, which are being, I, I, I think that there should be a lot of learnings to, like, focus a lot more on, like, scaling, just, like, the actual execution of the system and not pretending, like, roll-ups and L2s just magically solve scaling when on their own they don't. You have to still scale, like, the execution of those systems. Otherwise, you just have a copy of the EVM. Um, so I think that's, like, very simple. Is like, being pragmatic about those things. Um, I think that people will be forced to learn those things. Um, on the other side for Solana, I'd say, like, most of it is just, like, is learning... Not from the rollups, it's learning more from Ethereum itself. And that's more on the just like kind of softer social side of things. Um, because like the arguments of Solana being centralized or and like th- this is one of the things I've gotten annoyed. it's like people always, like Ethereum people always say Solana centralized and Solana people always say like Ethereum single sequencer rollups are c- centralized. Um, I think it is like ridiculous in practice at any technical level. Um, the main area where I think Ethereum is like leaps and bounds ahead on decentralization. It's not nodes or like any kind of like validator metrics or any of those things. Like those things are nice. Um, the real area where it's like meaningful or more decentralized and in practice is incredibly valuable. Like is at that is like at that like just like very fuzzy kind of social layer. Um, and this is one of the things I've talked about as far as just like simple communications and research and all of those things. Like as someone who came into the space. Like a year and a half ago at this point, like when I came in, it was not a question that I was going to be be immediately drawn to Ethereum. And like that was the ecosystem that I was going to get involved in because of just the incredible depth of people who are participating in that ecosystem, the amount of research that like you just go on ETH research on any random day, and there's a bunch of random new awesome posts that are like, there's too much there to read and stay on top of. Um, And there are just so many people who care about the ecosystem. So, trying to like have more of that, that like kind of just openness and just like excitement of bringing new people in and research and all of that. Um, I think it's like really valuable and like that, that is, that is a very fixable thing. Um, I, I would say like, that is the the best thing because like nerd sniping new people who come in and are just like super interested in all this stuff is super, super important. And in my general opinion, like Solana has made that like rather difficult. Like even for me, when I try to like go through look look through docs and like find stuff to read on Solana, like it's it's still difficult. Like even for me, I have to like do more work than I like I want to. Um, so for new people coming in, they're just gonna be like, all right, I, like I going to go pay attention to Ethereum. Like they're doing all this cool stuff over here.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. I would, uh, uh, I very strongly agree with that, and it's something I have said as well which is uh maybe a few things like i mean the node things like okay whatever maybe they're in the same order of magnitude on on some level but really a social level layer is is and i tweeted this like you know if vitalik were to go away with ethereum be fine and like the answer in my mind is absolutely yes but if 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 totally went away would solana be just as fine it's like eh, probably not and some people disagree with me on that but let's be realistic here uh and and so and, and you know that's part of the reason why uh, you know <laughs> I posted on Twitter I'm like I'm going to boycott pausing all ratio operations until it totally starts writing more, uh, uh, and so that that is what we need. Uh, so I, I totally agree there. One thing that's clear is like some people on Ethereum, uh, maybe like yourself and maybe maybe Connor like including Node uh, uh, are kind of cognizant of the fact that okay, well the end game is similar in terms of node requirements when you take these systems to logical extremes. But then there are some other folks who are like, no, 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 you must run the nodes at home because if World War III happens, what then? Um, what are your thoughts on generally, like the the decentralization aspect of blockchains as it comes to running a node at home, uh, uh, right? Like, how do you think about that as a framework?
0: In general I would say that end-user verification is an important goal to strive for at the end of the day and to your point uh, I think that that is an achievable thing whether you're running a roll-up or an l1 or whatever at high scale like it's the same idea at the end of the day is yeah you're gonna have a relatively beefy node that's like actually making all the blocks and then we want to make it easier for people to check it I, I think that most people like generally agree that like yeah that's a thing that we should add on any system like why not seems additive um, the the particular difference today is like how much you prioritize that today and constrain yourself. Um, and then also if you want people to even like participate in consensus at like that kind of like Raspberry Pi type level. Um, my general view is that I definitely get it for something like Ethereum where it is today, which has, again, just a very different constraint. Um, compared to Solana, where it's trying to be something very different, where it is trying to be that meme of money, World War Three resistance, whatever. Like, everyone should be able to verify this thing and participate in it. Um, like, it wouldn't make sense for Ethereum to just go turn around tomorrow and, like, increase the gas limit and, like, do a bunch of these, like, execution optimizations because it's just not what it's trying to be. Um, so I understand it. Um, it doesn't make sense for anyone else to be making those trade-offs because, like, that is the whole reason of why, like... Bitcoin and Ethereum exist in the first place. Um, my general view is that like I still don't think those nodes are gonna be participating in consensus in the long run. Um, I think that there's probably a little bit too much over optimization on that front of um, trying to have at home to a meaningful extent participate in the consensus. like I think we're already like just seeing that in practice is like the economics are going to squeeze that out over the long run. Um, I think that it should be achievable at a technological level for a reasonable person to participate within the consensus of any of th- these systems. Like that, that should be a reasonable goal. Um, I don't think it's going to be economically rational. I, I, I think that like, we already see that today. It's not really economically rational for someone to like run an at-home solo staker. It's like pretty economically rational for them to pool with other people. And I don't think that's like ever really going to go away. Um, so I, I think that that will like, continue as a trend over time. And then what you'll want to see is just end user verification. That like that I do think is important. And that I think can be added to kind of like any system at the end of the day and should be kind of prioritized and added.
2: So talking about the solo staking stuff actually, that's a good segue. Uh I did see uh, uh maybe a, a clash between Dankrad and, and Scott about Lido and and what should happen there. And, and I saw that you weighed in. Can you for people who are unfamiliar with what's going on there, uh, in terms of Lido and Ethereum, can you describe what's what's happening from kind of both sides and, and give us what you
0: think of it? So the general kind of what's going on is Ethereum, uh, Lido has right about a third of Ethereum stake right now. Um, so the whole argument is basically like, is that a centralizing force and like bad for Ethereum and all of these things? And I think that like any proof of stake system is going to have to deal with this kind of same kind of fundamental question um, at one point or another. Um And this is also why, like, when people try to use, like, the Nakamoto coefficient from one chain to another, and I think it's, like, generally a ridiculous thing, because if you have a Nakamoto coefficient chart and you, like, you count Lido as one entity, I think that's just, like, ridiculous, and yet people do that all the time. Um, Like, it's just not an apples-to-apples thing. Um, So, I like, a, a lot of... People in the Ethereum community, uh, a number tend to be on the side of, like, it's a risk to have this one governance entity that is, like, controlling all the operators. Um, you know, we should try to reduce that. Um, I tend to be more directionally on the side of, yeah, it would be nice in theory if, like, everyone ran an at-home staker and we had like a perfectly decentralized validator set that was equally distributed, etc. Like, in practice, like, the economics do not favor that at all. Um, and I think that in practice that is like, even with a meaningful amount of social pressure is not going to really achieve any kind of like meaningful improvement. Um, like I, I think like one of my like f- favorite tweets, I think it was totally, he was like kind of shit posting around it. he was like Lido should just fork into like Lido one and Lido two. And I think that's like kind of what like people are like underappreciating is like okay do you feel like significantly better if like lido has a third of the stake and then like some other big lst has like 20 percent of the stake or whatever and then like coinbase and binance have another 30 percent of the stake like does that make you feel better like no um and that's the practical reality is like that's where you're going to end up is like all right maybe you have like a duopoly and oligopoly like it's not a meaningful improvement um the practical reality, the thing that's really important in my mind is the operators under the hood of LIDO, the decentralization of them matters a lot in my mind. Um, and so what really matters is constraining the hell out of whatever the successful like LST governance is. Um, and so like that's where I think more of the social pressure should be applied to LIDO at the moment is I think that they deserve a lot of social pressure. But I don't think it's practically reasonable to say, like, hey, you should self-limit at some arbitrary number. I think it is in practice very valuable to be social pressuring LSTs in any ecosystem to say, "Hey, you need to have very minimized governance. You need to have governance that is aligned with our own governance of our chain that gives like veto rights to stakers to holders, um, and like having a decentralized validator set under the hood such that people can permissionlessly enter, etc." Um, that that is where I think a lot of the pressure should be applied, and that's going to be the same for any kind of LST ecosystem. I think there's a lot to learn from Lido for like Solana LSTs and others that will be doing like the same things.
1: Yeah, and that Nakamoto coefficient or that like 33%, right? That has to do with controlling the liveness or sometimes the security of a chain. I'm curious, from a researcher point of view and thinking about developers, like that really matters. Um, but when you're thinking about investing and in, in protocols in the space, has your mind changed now that you're thinking about like, um, I don't know, long term investment in the sense that like, when institutions come in, or you have brands come in that build in crypto, like, what are the things that they're going to be thinking about? Because for example, Visa started on Ethereum. Part of that's the mind share. I don't know. Are they even thinking about Lido? What's going underneath there? Then you see Visa now on Solana. So maybe it has to do with speed and latency. Like, I'm just curious from a researcher's point of view versus being an investor. Has your views changed on like what will make something successful in crypto? I okay.
0: mean, I, uh, this is why like I call myself a researcher like as a joke at this point. Uh, like being a researcher is being an investor that like actually does your diligence, um, which is potentially not common, I guess, um,
1: uh, Get in the game, which is good.
0: Yeah, Um, I so yeah, I like I like people have started to pass around like oh J.P. Morgan like has these charts or something like that of like oh Lido has an increasing stake. My general view is I don't think that like that is really a meaningful like concern that people are like looking at from the outside of like oh this system is centralized. Um, Like there's a big LST. Like most of these people like honestly don't understand and like the reason that people are concerned about it is because. The majority of Ethereum people who are at least loud about this are on the side of like, oh, this is a big problem. So when you have some of the loudest people in the community who have some of the largest followings who are saying like, oh, this is a gigantic centralization risk, like yeah, people are going to pick up on like, oh, sounds like they're saying it's a centralization risk. Um, like people are going to pick up on that. I think it's more of that. It's just like people are following like, what is the message from most of the louder people? Um, like the the nuances of the composition of the validator set is something that. We at the like deepest technical level in crypto don't have a perfect answer to and still fight about. Um, like this is not something that I think is like a meaningful outside influence like this is so far down the list.
2: I do want to very briefly touch on because uh, you, you said like uh, something about social pressures in Lido and maybe fixing it that way won't necessarily work. Uh, social pressures is is an interesting uh, force, let's say in crypto that I haven't seen in any other industries. And obviously, the meme that comes to mind is Ethereum alignment. What are your general thoughts? And I know you have that uh, meme that I liked, which was like, uh, it's a, it's a word sheet, uh, Excel or Word, and then it's like, align <laughs> Ethereum, a Cosmos. Uh, I thought that was great. Um, what are your general thoughts on what that even means? Like, is is that a good thing, bad thing, inevitable? How do you think about it?
0: Yeah, like I go back and forth on it, and like I like I joke about it too. Uh, like it's it's tough because. Underlying it are very good ideas um, that I do think are really important and like kind of fundamental to like everything that we're building. They are very social systems. Like we do have values underlying these systems. Um, the problem is that like it's just so easy to twist like what other people are saying slash misinterpret it um, because like people are inherently like when it's a fuzzy thing going to like misuse the term of like, you know, just you're going to say like, oh, I want to like align with this project, like sure. And like, you don't actually mean it, and like all of those problems and like, you're just in the whatever ecosystem, like it's a pump and dump random thing. um So like people are going to use it negatively. So like, it's hard to, like the term itself, I don't know, like that it's like, I don't think it signals anything to me if someone says, oh, I'm Ethereum aligned. Like that, like that doesn't mean anything to me. If someone is like very loudly saying, oh, I'm really Ethereum aligned, that's probably actually more of the opposite for me I <laughs> think that theory, yeah <laughs> I, I think I think that ethereum alignment like by someone's actions is a real thing and a like very important and meaningful thing like in practice like we see that in like look at the ethereum ecosystem today like the way the blocks are made or anything in the in that ecosystem if all of the block builders and relays and validators today were full profit maxis in any of these ecosystems most chains would be screwed today It would be like a very, very bad situation that would be incredibly centralized. And you would have like one builder building all the blocks and like just censoring everything. And that could like very easily happen if people were all being like strictly economically rational profit maxis today. Chains would be getting reorged, like like whatever. Um, Like there is an underlying level of like the social layer around these systems. Like, okay, there are properties that we care about. We want to enforce them. We will like actually work with each other to do these things and like scale the system appropriately. Like that is an important underlying concept. I just, like, yeah, I, that's not achieved by, like, yelling on Twitter, oh, I'm Ethereum aligned. That is achieved, like, in practice by what your actions are. Um, and, like, a, a couple of them I've seen, like, there's a, uh, uh, I think it was, uh, I'm trying to remember, uh, Abdel uh, from Starkware actually actually had a very good post on this probably about a week ago. Where, like, he kind of broke it down to, like, there's the cultural aspect of it, there's the technical aspect of it, there's, like, an economic aspect. So, like, different Like different chains, different communities will like fulfill different properties. Like you may not be technically aligned if like none of the things that you're working on are like EVM or Ethereum related, but you may be like economically aligned if you're like using ETH everywhere as decentralized money in an appropriate way. You may be socially aligned if you are like helping contribute to like the PBS ecosystem and like trying to keep that decentralized and censorship resistant. So like there's these different levels of areas that are important, but it's very much a like actions speak a hell of a lot louder than words in these kind of areas. And like, I do think that's important an underlying concept. Um, but yeah, like the meme itself, like that's just why it's rightfully getting made fun of is because like it does get misused. It is really fuzzy. Like people do use it inappropriately. Um, and so like, it gets very easy to make fun of, um, which is why people like myself st- still make fun of it. Um, even though I do think it is actually very important.
2: <laughs> uh, well, okay. So yeah, um... I do like getting philosophical at the end of the episodes. We were super technical, uh, especially for this episode. but but i but I am curious personally, at least uh, um, like it, and asking people who are like deep in the space and who 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 make it kind of their life's work at least currently to to contribute to the space., uh, so I have two questions for you. Uh, one is, why are you in crypto? like what what is what is your driving force uh, uh, behind the, the your contributions? And two, what do you think, in terms of what do you think of the entire crypto industry right now uh just zooming out doesn't have to be about ethereum or, or solana just you know the the entire thing like what do you think
0: about it so as far as the why crypto so i would kind of split it into two parts one of them is why i was interested in crypto um and i would say that was all of the pretty stereotypical reasons that you would like i kind of went through the normal progression of like what is the first reason that i looked at crypto was because I was like, "Oh, it looks like Bitcoin's going to go up a lot," and my ten- my friends were telling me like it's going to go up, and you should buy some. So I did that, and then it went up, and then it went up more. Uh, like that is the reason I got in in the first place. Like that was the first thing I looked at. Was like, "Oh, this makes sense as a macro thing." Like I pay attention to macro a lot. Like this whole Bitcoin thing that Paul Tudor Jones is talking about, like it makes sense. Um, and then from there, you get into the. Oh, this DeFi thing like makes a lot of sense. Like someone who's coming from a finance background and understands like a lot of inefficiencies and the problems with the systems, like okay, immediately like this clicks, this makes sense, this is awesome. Could see how this would be great in like a longer term future. It's like super interesting, super valuable. Um, similar for the money aspect of like yeah, this seems like a very intuitively valuable thing to the world to have this alternative money that is like not tied to a government, like very clear. Like you see all that stuff in COVID, like makes sense. Um, The reason I would say I then convinced myself to work in crypto was a little bit different um, as opposed to just like having it as a like big side hobby that I was like super interested in. The initial reason that I started working in crypto and is probably one of the driving forces why I do really like working in crypto um, is because of just inherently how well it lends itself to new and interested people. In particular, because like a field which is just fundamentally like changing at like such a rapid pace and has people who are like super, super interested in it, like you legitimately can come in as an absolutely random person and like very quickly contribute in like a meaningful sense to the ecosystem in one way or another if you like really care and you find your niche and you spend a hell of a lot of time on that thing. Um, I came from like a unfortunately traditional banking background um which is the exact opposite of that and like drove me absolutely crazy where like the job mandate is basically like please make a nicer pitch deck than the analyst at the other bank and like there's no value beyond that like two percent like nicer slide that like you can really add to any meaningful extent and that's just, like that's something that just fundamentally drives me crazy um so going to an industry where like, Everything is changing constantly. You actually can add meaningful value right away. People are like super interested and like want to work together on stuff and like nerd out on random stuff is a ton of fun. Um, That is like the fundamental reason I love working in crypto is like honestly separate from the CRISPR aspect of it. That's why I got like really interested in it in the first place was all the crypto specific stuff. Um, And then uh, the like zooming out, like state of where crypto is right now um, kind of vibe. I'd say, like, at a good spot of, like, getting kind of, I would say, comfortable with what it is and where we are, of, like, leaning in and understanding that, like, like you obviously don't, like, there's a there's a balance between it. Like, like Matt Huang had that post of, like, the, the casino on Mars, like, lean into the speculation and all of that stuff. There is a, like, there's definitely a degree of that. You obviously don't want it to be, like, full-fledged, like, oh, yes, it's all speculation. Um, but leaning into the fact of, like, This is a weird and fun industry that like I do wake up every day and I'm like, how the hell is this a real job? Uh, Like happens like pretty much every other day. Um, And like leaning into that and just like understanding that and like that, like that is what makes it a lot of fun to work here. Um, And particularly in a period like now where like it's not the like bull market. Everyone's coming in for the quick buck. Like it's just not there to be had. Um, like you really have to lean into that and like have people who love the ecosystem, um, and just like love who they're working with and what they're doing. And I do think that we are seeing that more and more. Um, and like, that is something that makes me like long-term very positive is that like the people that I like, I look at that I work with that are around, like are not about to leave, even if just like prices go down a bunch more. Um, and like that, that is the kind of fundamental thing that makes it pretty increasingly clear to me like there's like no way to pretty much realistically kill this thing like there are too many people who are just so interested in this thing um and it just keeps getting bigger and keeps sucking in more people and it's like it is a ton of fun to work in um and that will like diminish over time um but yeah like definitely leaning into that aspect of like the uniqueness and just like the kind of the weirdness of the crypto industry like i do like seeing like people embrace it like that is what makes it a lot of fun
1: it's funny when you mentioned working in finance, and it's almost like that's something frowned upon before you come into crypto, you know, you're not like just some dev in a basement going at it. Um, but I, I think crypto, is a, it's actually had this beachhead for people like you, and obviously people that are developers as well, that almost like, maybe I'm pushing this too far, but almost like felt uh, repressed in some ways in their jobs, and that like you go into work with your suit and tie, um, you have, you know, your 8 to 8pm 8 job, whereas like you were going into deep research, but you're posting like memes throughout. That's something like you can't express other in other places in that will bring in new talent that can actually like express itself and have fun so i think that's really cool i, I do have uh one that was a pump fake by merc because this is going to be a kind of technical question i just have to ask you've talked about how solana should potentially be looking into like being a settlement layer for rollups as well for svm rollups and how you think that could actually create a stronger argument for solana or soul um for value capture than in ethereum could you maybe like explain why you think that could be a really good move for solana
0: yeah, so the it's like tough um because I don't know that there's anything you could really do to become a settlement layer like in practice like the reason you become a settlement layer is that path dependency of like you have a lot of interesting assets and everything there that people want to tap into. Um so Solana just doesn't in practice have that at the moment, so it doesn't make sense to like root your chain around Solana where like this is the bridge that matters because you don't have the users and everything to tap into. Um I do think it is at least an interesting concept in the future where If you basically assume like what is the ultimate bottleneck, is it like data propagation or is it like compute execution? And if you think that like the bottleneck is going to be execution at some point, well, then you think that effectively like rollups are inevitable. Solana is an interesting like settlement slash base layer or whatever in that world, if it is like the best data propagation layer, but like you do need other execution environments to scale because it's at least very unique in that like Ethereum is obviously very constrained in that like you are tapping into like a very simple base layer of like you have a ton of ETH that like people really care about and like these other um kind of ecosystems on top, but you don't have a, a scalable layer that like actually has all of those things natively on it. So it would be interesting that like conceptually you could have a very scalable like quote unquote settlement layer, which is like still kind of a made up word in my mind. Um, the potentially like more interesting side of what like Solana can do as like a base layer for rollups is more on the the kind of data propagation side. Um, so this is where I think like people will start to realize like the line between like a shared sequencer and like a DA layer is like uh, like a lo- is like kind of not that far apart. Um, like like every chain is a DA layer. Like it's just that for Solana, uh, like you are propagating the full data across them, as opposed to like having the slower path where people can kind of kind of sample them. Um, and effectively, what a shared sequencer is is just a layer that is like very good at propagating data, very very fast, and like not bothering to execute those things. Um, Solana is already very good at those things, which is why like you see people like looking at s- at least early stages of like, hey, like Solana could be a shared sequencer. Um what how important shared sequencers will be, that's like another separate question that like I'll put aside. Um, but like fundamentally, like Solana like actually optimizes for a lot of the things there. Um and then really just like adding DAS as like a slow path is like something that like you can in theory do in the future. Um but like that is kind of the difference that like Celestia and Ethereum what they're doing is like that's the fundamental trade-off generally between these like shared sequencers and like specialized DA layers. Um is the specialized ones instead of like slower block times in the DAS. Um, but like in theory, those can be like integrated um, in the future, which is like far off. Um, but yeah, in, in practice, I think the most likely like near term association for Solana with rollups is like if it gets used as a shared sequencer, because even as it stands today, it's like built reasonably well to already do that. You have some of the best writing in the space. So I
2: do want to maybe uh, uh, be selfish a little bit here. Sorry for, to, to, to the audience and, and ask you, what is what is uh, what is your process for writing? Like how, how did you get good at writing? What are some... What's some advice you would have for for people looking to write about crypto more and do some more research?
0: Um, so I never really wrote anything um, before coming into crypto. Um, it was really a byproduct of like just like starting my job at Delphi. That's what I was doing. Um, I in general have found it very helpful. I like like most of it is honestly selfish of like, I don't publish most of the stuff that I write. I have like hundreds of pages that are just like sitting in my drafts that will just like never get published. Um, it is just like so helpful to just like make yourself right. Um, like you don't need to think of it as this is something that like I'm going to post and get a bunch of attention and whatever, just like literally write for yourself to clarify your thoughts. Um, it doesn't have to be this like perfect, well-written thing. Um, it's like nice if you could do that, but like definitely make it as concise as you possibly can and like really just like try to like rearrange your thoughts on the page. Um, so like I, I tend to be like very obsessive when I go through a topic of like the general like loose format of my screen is generally like Google Doc on one side and then like a hundred tabs open on the other side of the screen. And I will just go through every single thing on that. And then as I find a new piece of information that is valuable, I will like work that into the document and I will progressively go through that and like rearrange the information, like re-question, like what is my thesis throughout this as I like get new information and go through that topic. Um, So it's the like, it's definitely like a very obsessive making sure I like I'm not missing anything. I have like not left a stone unturned. I've like looked at everything that I possibly could on this thing and like really synthesized everything in like the simplest manner possible, um, because like that will help you just like form your thoughts in like the best way possible.
1: You say concise, which is true. You, your writing is very easy to understand. Does not mean your writings are short.
0: I should be clear on that. Yeah, like I don't think that actually short length, at least for me, is like I think that like that is actually usually problematic because at least if you're looking at like a relatively big topic, that means you probably just like formed your thoughts quickly and haven't looked everything. Um, you can write a very long paper. I, I think that's great. Like that's what I like, that's what I like to do, but like your writing style and your thoughts throughout that thing should be like as information dense and succinct as like possibly like written like short sentences, bullet points like those, those help me a lot just like for thinking and
1: going through. Yeah. John, are you going to Breakpoint by the way? Yeah. I'm Let's excited. Go. About- all right. Solana community has caught John. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, John, thanks so much for joining today. Everybody, you really need to go read his articles. Um, he's got a lot up there, and they're really informative, whether you're in Solana, Ethereum, et cetera. So, John, keep bringing the research papers, keep bringing the memes, and thanks for coming on. Awesome. It's by ton guys. Thanks. We'll see you next time. All right, I've got a little ending note here. First, thank you so much for listening to the full episode. If you really liked it, hit subscribe. But secondly, make sure you sign up for DAS. This is BlockWorks' biggest institutional conference happening in London in March. I've included a link in the show notes and also a discount code. Get 20% off. Make sure to use Lightspeed20 when you sign up. All right, I'll see you there, and I'll see you next time on Lightspeed.